Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. I am jo- I am Scott. I was say I was Joseph. Whoa. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, what just happened? Anyways, I'm Scott. With me is Joseph. It is December 11th, 1995. We are at the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina. Eric Bischoff, Steve Mongo McMichael, and Bobby Heenan are on the mics. And there isn't much more I have to say about that because we go directly into the first match. The entrances happen while the commentary team is talking. It's Eddie Guerrero versus Mr. JL. And as you might guess, Eddie Guerrero defeats Mr. JL. It's a four-minute, 30-second match. Not a squash match. It's a real match. Joseph. What do you think about it? This is a a pure wrestling match. There's no storyline. There's no anything going on, but it's a lot of fun. These two these two men are very good together. They put on a great match. Gets a B for me. There's nothing really to go into because it's just a very technically good match. And unfortunately, because it doesn't explore any storylines, I can't really go into much detail on that. The one thing that is notable about it is during the match, the commentary team actually talks about how at Starcade this year, which I believe will be on a Wednesday, as opposed to a standard pay-per-view Sunday, it's going to be the World Cup of Wrestling. And it's going to be between essentially the U.S. by way of Mexico and Canada and other places versus Japan. So that's pretty exciting. That should be fun. North America versus Japan. It's all America. USA. 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 But you're right. It is a good match. It's it's another example of how great the cruiserweight division is going to be when they officially start it. They ha- I guess they've kind of started. I mean, they're having cruiserweight matches, although they don't have a cruiserweight title yet. And they're ki- and they've but they've talked about that. They're going to start a cruiserweight division. And this is a good example of that. Eddie Guerrero obviously was the favorite to win the match. So that's not surprising. But Mr. Jail by no means got rolled over. I mean, he He wrestled a good match, high flying, fun, good technical ability, good match, good way to start the night. After that, though, we got Mean Gene, and he's talking with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. Luger says he keeps getting the better of Randy Savage. He's better than Randy Savage. And when Starcade rolls around, he's going to be the world champion. He doesn't think Ric Flair can win a triangle match. Ric Flair's going to have a triangle match. He doesn't think Ric Flair can win it. Saying that the best man will win, and when it comes down to it, Sting, his friend, is the best man. Joseph, Luger promo. What did you think? Uh, I wasn't in love with it. It wasn't horrible. It got a C-minus for me. I do think it's interesting. You, You made kind of light of this last week. You talked about how... Two weeks ago, Jimmy Hart apparently had a plan to kind of separate these two men being Sting and Lex Luger and their and their beautiful, beautiful friendship. But here Lex is still saying, hey, I got no problem with Sting. We're boys. That's my dude. So where where what happened to that? What happened to that plan? They're not even teasing it. Like, don't worry, it's Starcade, it's gonna happen, or or anything. They're just they just left it. We're on week three now. What's going on? So it's it's whatever. It gets a C minus for me. And Jimmy's right there. And he says nothing about it. Yeah, it's 
I don't know. I don't know. I guess we decided we didn't like that. So we're not going to talk about it anymore. It's been memory hold. We'll see. Maybe they do something with it. I don't know. You're right, though. Well, you know, actually, I think I rated this a little higher than you did. It could be that my opinion of Lex Luger and promos is so low that when he does an okay one, I think it's pretty good. And I thought he did okay here. So for Lex Luger, it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. I think I think he did a good job here. I'm just a little bit confused about this whole, like, what is Jimmy Hart doing thing? There's a lot of friendship is certainly a contentious subject in WCW. We got Luger and Sting's friendship and Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster don't like it. Hulk Hogan says he was he's not going to turn his back on his friends again, never going to doubt him. And that's all he's doing. Some friendships are really taking a hit here on WCW. And really, that's what it's all about in the end, friendship. And that's why we're doing this. That's so beautiful how you just brought that all back. Look how I tied that. I tied a big bow on that. Look how I tied that all together. A friendship bow. A friendship bow. Yeah. But here's where the two friends might disagree. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Because we got a Disco Inferno match, man. Paul Orendorf, Disco Inferno. It's a squash match. Paul Orendorf wins. He defeats Disco Inferno. It's two minutes, 23 seconds. Joseph, what do you think about this one? I said last week that Mongo had one of the best lines of the night, if not the best line from the WCW commentary team. I don't know if this is the best night of the line, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, which is he's he's talking about Disco Inferno, and he says, that must be jelly, because I've never seen jam shake like that. Not bad. I, not it's pretty bad. it's pretty pretty humorous mm-hmm. that being said this segment gets a d it gets a d for a few reasons d for disco i'm doing some dean douglas on you d for disco and d for dumb but also wow. but also they've done this now twice with disco and i really do think this is hurting i want to say my opinion but probably the audience i mean the, uh, to be fair the audience seems to be into them so Hey, man, apparently he might have been over. I don't know. But they're doing this thing with him where he's wrestled now. I want to say he's had two wrestling matches, maybe three. But I, I can remember two, including this one. And the first one was against Sab- Sabu. And this one's against Mr. Wonderful. Both are heels. His character is a heel. So where is the investment in the match? It doesn't really make any sense to me. Also, while thinking about that, what the hell happened to Sabu? Is he gone? I think he might be gone. I haven't seen it. We haven't seen him. No mention of him. Yeah, I just realized that while we were talking about this. Whatever. Gets a D for me. Not great. Well, I think your point is well taken. And what are we doing with Disco Inferno? They gave him such hype. He was he was on every week interfering with matches and Interfering with people's entrances. And I guess was the whole thing just, ha ha, look how annoying this guy is. Now, isn't it funny that he's getting destroyed every week? Because, yeah, he he got destroyed by Paul Orndorff. Sabu, didn't he get destroyed by Road Warrior Hawk, too? Wasn't that another one they did where he got wrecked by him? Yeah, that's true. That might be the third one I'm thinking of. Yeah. What are we doing with Disco Inferno? Like, I know you don't like the guy, right? He's annoying. And I guess that's kind of the gimmick, right? Disco sucks. Ha ha. But like you you, you put all this into him just for him to be basically a jobber because that's kind of all he's been. It's weird. You know what else is weird, Joseph? What's that, Scott? 
four horsemen when there's only three of them. Because Mean Gene is interviewing the four horsemen, but there's no Benoit. He's not there. Brian Pillman says everyone wants to be a horseman, though. Everyone. He says Hulk Hogan wants to be a horseman. That's why he wore black. It was an audition for the horseman. He also says the American males, the Dungeon of Doom, Steve, Mongo, McMichael, oh, and Paul Orendorf want to be horsemen. Orendorf, he doesn't like this. He's insulted by this claim. And he tells Pillman that Pillman only became a horseman because Orendorf turned it down. Pillman tells Orendorf that he's mediocre and then pile drives him into the cement floor. My God, what would you think about this, Joseph? Well, first, I got to ask, who interviewed the four horsemen? Because I don't, I don't know. I don't know who you mean. I don't know if I can get any higher than I did last time, but let me give it a try. Mean Gene! <laughs> there we go. Uh, you don't have to get higher, man. You, you, you could do it at, at your own pace, but, but uh, just, you know, it didn't sound right. That being said, I had like an, an emotional roller coaster listening or not listening, but watching this. Initially, Brian Pillman goes all over the place. Like he can't stay on one subject and it's really, really not good. Like he's just bouncing between everything. And you could tell that Flair is realizing like he's getting off track and it's not working and it's not interesting. It's not funny. And, and at a certain point you can tell that Pillman realizes it's not working and you can almost see it in his eyes. Like he's kind of desperate, like, Oh crap, I got to find a way to save this. So Flair starts talking kind of brings it back. And like you said, one of the people he did mention was Paul Orndorff, which I think was the initial point. The point was to get to that. Right. But he took such a weird route to get there. When Flair starts talking and kind of starts saving it, then Paul Orndorff comes out. And then here's the interesting thing. I thought Pillman was like dying in this segment. And then I realized he's starting to kill it in this segment. He starts antagonizing Paul Orndorff so much and it made me love it. So I went from like being completely out on this segment to really loving this segment. It got to be for me because I do think there's some negatives on it. But I also noticed what Brian Pillman is doing here is kind of a better version of the one, two, three kid. It's kind of what they want one, two, three kid to be doing, but he's not doing a good job of it, which is the little twerp who all he does is instigate and antagonize. And you just want to see somebody punch him in the face. And that's what Brian Pillman's doing. When finally Paul Orndorff comes out and, and Brian Pillman really gets to bounce it off of someone instead of just at the camera, it really starts to shine. And so I liked it at that point. Brian Pillman, I would be so bold to say, is something of a loose cannon. And he Whoa. certainly, yes, yes. And he was in this promo. You're right. It's crazy. It was all over the place. Ric Flair kind of had to save it. But in the end, it worked. They they did what they needed to do. The whole point of that was to get Paul Orndorff pile-drived onto the concrete. And they did. So overall, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. As our next match starts, though, Bobby Heenan has to leave the commentary table because he's got to go check on Paul Orndorff. The dude's getting stretchered out. Ryan Pillman may have killed the man. It's tragic. Up next, we got Lex Luger versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Of note, they do my boy dirt again. And Lex Luger defeats Hacksaw 2 minutes, 44 seconds. Joseph, tell me all about this. 
So my very first note on this, the minute I realized who Hacksaw was going against was, I'm sorry, Scott, this doesn't look good for you. Do my boy dirt. (laughs) And then, and then your boy gets USA chance, but there's no foreign affairs here, man. Everybody, everybody local. Lugers sound kind of foreign. That's, that's a German. That's, that's a German gun. I see through Lex. <laughs> you know, you you mentioned Mister Wonderful getting carted off. I think that you know that was pretty pretty good. Hacksaw tapes his hand. Jimmy Hart distracts him with the two by four. Lex hits Hacksaw Jim Duggan with the two by four, and then Lex hits Torch Rack for for the win. This is kind of a glorified squash match, kind of like what I talked about last week, because Hacksaw is somebody notable. Even though he's not, you know, the guy anymore, he is he is a notable fixture, kind of like kind of like what Bob Backlund is, honestly, in, in WWF. And I really, really wish they would do something with him. And again, I think I said this a few weeks ago, have him with like Disco Inferno. I think that would work really well. I think you could get over Disco that way. Having Hacksaw be the baby face kind of foil to Disco that all he does, all he wants to do is be a working man. And celebrate this great country that he loves. And Disco just keeps killing his vibe and being annoying and won't go away. I think that would work a lot better. You could really have a nice little fun angle with the both of them. But this is just like your boy gets done here. And it it ain't ain't great. But I got to see for me. Glorified squash match is fair because I think the difference between Hacksaw, you said kind of like he's kind of like Bob Backlund. The difference between Hacksaw and Bob Backlund, though, is Hacksaw is enjoyable to watch. And he's enjoyable to watch in this match. He hits all the Hacksaw notes. He's fun. He's a cartoony character. He's very much a 1980s wrestler when they were larger than life with kind of cartoony gimmicks. That's what he does. But he does it so well that I enjoy it immensely and every time I see it. And also, I love the USA, as you know. So I can't go wrong. Where it goes wrong, though, is that he loses. But of course, he's going to lose. It's against Lex Luger. I get it. This is just supposed to show that Lex Luger just steams roll people because he's the total package. He's a machine. It was fine. Jim Duggan went down swinging. The match was just fine. I got I got no beef, even though they do my boy dirt. Again, but Hacksaw does have a resurgence, and I'm excited for when we get to that. But we're not there yet, because up next, we got a Mean Gene interview with the Macho Man Randy Savage. You and Macho is facing the giant on next Monday's Nitro, and he is not worried about it. Joseph, tell me about your boy's promo. Much kills it in, in this. It's fantastic. Not only does he kill it in this promo, but also his outfit, pink, purple, orange, all patterns in those colors on a black surface. It is so good. It gets an A plus for me. Mean Gene points out that Mach's busy schedule for the next week, the next next few weeks, rather, could really affect him. At which point Mach says, sounds like Mission Impossible, doesn't it? Everything he says in this is fantastic. Problems, problems. How are you going to solve them one at a time, one at a time? He talks about that he's not thinking about a few weeks from now at Starcade. He's not thinking about Lex the Weiner, as he says. He's not even thinking about my buddy Sting or the nature boy Ric Flair that almost one year ago today hurt my dad. He's thinking about seven days from tonight 
Nitro in the squared circle, defending the WCW World Heavyweight Championship against the seven foot four, 400 plus pound, the giant. Then he says that it's a man, a man so powerful that he's only ever felt that power one time before, obviously referencing Andre the Giant. And then Macho says, well, let me tell you one thing. Yeah, when I walk in that ring in Nitro next time, it's just what it's going to be, TNT. And I'm going to pull. I'm going to be like dynamite. Pull one up in your face, Giant, because there is no substitute for victory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that was good. I felt every moment of that. Macho Man could read the phone book in the Macho Man <laughs> cadence. And it would be good. Like, it's just, it goes without saying. It's a Macho Man promo. He could say anything, and I would enjoy it because it's just ridiculous. And that's my kind of wrestling. It's good. We got a match, though. In fact, we've got our main event. We got Hulk Hogan. We have Sting. And we have two of the four horsemen, Arn Anderson and the nature boy, Rick Flair. Hogan is being whiny again. A Hogan sucks chant begins in the audience. Luger does a run-in on Hogan, but it doesn't matter. Hulk Hogan hulks out of a spine buster, an Arn Anderson spine buster. He hulks out of it. He wins with the leg drop. I hate this. The crowd hates this. Joseph, what do you think about this? All right. So before before we go go over the blasphemous hulking out of a spine buster, let's talk about Sting real quick. Because you know I got to talk about my boy. He's wearing white tights with red boots and a white, red, and black scorpion with matching face paint. It's It gets an A- for me. It's gorgeous. Also, interesting to note, he's basically brunette here. He's just got the faintest amount of blonde. On top of that, Hogan doesn't come out with Sting. And they, they kind of play off this thing like Sting jumped the gun. But that dude's music hit forever ago. So what's he supposed to do? Just wait there with Hogan? Because Hogan comes out way late. They try to make it look like Sting's the bagger here. But Hogan just kind of looks like the douche by not coming out with him. Like He looks whiny. He, he's whiny you, again. He complains about it. Yeah, you aren't you aren't here ready for your match. This is on you. This ain't on him. Bischoff is questioning Sting, which only makes me think of one thing, which is the fuck did I do? That's that's a little that's a little reference for you, Scott. The Wire. Like if you haven't yeah. seen The Wire, you should watch The Wire. There's two kinds of people: people who haven't seen The Wire and people who tell people to see The Wire. We are people who tell you to see The Wire. Go <laughs> so watch it if you haven't. Maybe we'll do a podcast, anyway, dude. That's the next one. Back to the match. You you do mention that they, that they're chanting Hogan sucks. This isn't really indicative of Hogan at the time. This is they're in Charlotte. That's Flair territory. That's his, I believe that's his hometown. That's that's why his daughter is named Charlotte, right? That's that is Flair yeah. territory. Yeah. So they you gotta boo Hogan in this situation. Again, makes it kind of weird that you're gonna have not Flair win this, but whatever. According to Heenan. Hulk Hogan doesn't have a friend. I thought this was a very interesting line, not because there's anything profound about it, but it is kind of partially true. We're going to, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and talk about some backstage stuff here from everything that I've, I've, I've heard and seen reports from people who either are or have been close to Hogan. I would say that one of the few people who is truly Hulk Hogan's friend for better or worse, is Eric Bischoff. 
They're close. Eric Bischoff speaks very highly of Hogan. Hogan speaks very highly of Eric Bischoff. On top of that, Eric Bischoff is wildly successful outside of wrestling nowadays. Like he does a good job. He's doing fine. I think he's living like in Montana or Wyoming or something like that, somewhere around Yellowstone, which kind of borders both those states. He's he's doing a great job. He loves he loves his life right now. He doesn't need really anything. So him and Hogan seem to have this very good friendship that seems to be based off of we'll work together when we work together, but we don't have to. Most of Hogan's friends seem to be leeches, like most of his other friends. And if you ever listen to, I believe it's 83 Weeks, right? His podcast, Eric Bischoff with Conrad mm-hmm. Thompson. Yep, yep. Eric Bischoff goes in on some of those friends quite a few times and how much they are leeches. And that one of one of Hogan's faulty traits is until you really, really stab him in the back, he will be your friend. And even if you do, he might still be your friend. So it, it's a, it's one of those kind of prophetic quotes where it's like, I don't think Heenan meant anything beyond what he's saying, but he's kind of partially true. Like, like this is kind of accurate. He doesn't really have friends in the same sense as, you know, as, as you and me, Scott, he, he ain't got our kind of friendship. True. On top of that, Hogan, nothing's flare chops in flare territory. You nothing flare chops. Unbelievable. You mentioned all the all the negatives. I mean, Hogan no selling a gorgeous spine buster, and and I don't know if you know this, Scott. I love a good spine buster. I've heard. I have heard. So this just pissed me right off. <laughs> like, I mean, look, he, he it didn't have to win. It didn't have to. It didn't have to be the ender. But just to like, you couldn't even have Sting come in and break up the pin. I could have believed that. But you have the the man, the myth, the legend that is Arn Anderson hitting the greatest spinebuster that's ever existed, and you just nothing it like that. That that really upset me. Sting hits Scorpion Deathlock a little bit before this, and he hits one on Arn, and then Flair comes in to stop him, and he lets go of Arn and puts Flair into one immediately. And I thought that was hilarious, and it was a really good job overall. The actual match. I found to be quite good. I found myself to be enjoying the match. And then we get to obviously the spine buster. They just kind of no sells. And then it goes right into leg drop for the win. I packaged this personally in how I was grading this because it goes like, I don't even think they take a break. I don't remember if they do, but they go right into kind of this promo because obviously people start interrupting like has been going on for weeks. And what ends up happening is four horsemen start beating up Hogan and Sting. This is including Brian Pillman now. Lex comes out and actually helps prevent them from beating up Sting. Kind of says, hey, you, you can take out Hogan, but you can't you can't touch my boy, which again, I like, puts their, their relationship over. At which point, Savage comes out, and he now gets in Sting's face, and Sting swings at him. And Savage swings back, and now Hogan has to split them up, much like Savage did last week. So Mean Gene has to interview them. And Hogan's upset with Sting. And Mean Gene points out that Hogan and Mancha are friends. Why can't Sting and Luger be friends? Mach says very clearly, I don't like Luger. It's fantastic. It's 
classic Mach. Mean Gene keeps the discussion going, but Mach wants to know what the deal is with Sting. Sting says he kind of backs off almost apologetically. Look, it was the heat of the battle, emotions were running, and I didn't really know what you were, you know, what kind of match I was getting given your history. So I swung. I just I took the first shot. I'm sorry. If I could go back, he says, if he could go back, he would take it back, but he can't, which I thought was beautiful. And then Hogan points out that Sting did have his back in the match. Good guy, Hogan. At which point, Mach says, I always check guys' eyes to see where they're coming from. And I'm the master of disaster at overreacting. And I know that it's a fault, but I say we all take a chill pill. Mach just understand, I mean, self realization is so beautiful from Mach here. And then he says, but I think subliminally all the respect that I have for you is just unbelievable. Me and Hulkster talk about it. We don't want you to get away from us. We want you to stick with us all the way. Is that cool? And then Sting says, that's extremely cool. And that ends the segment. And it, and even with, even with the blasphemous no-sell of the Spinebuster, it gets an A from me, Scott. The aftermath is pretty good, but it's because Macho Man is there to do what Macho Man does best and just be fantastic. The match, though, you're right. You are right. The match starts off pretty good. I like at least three of the guys in there. I mean, you know, I think Hulk Hogan is a good wrestler. I just I'm just tired of formulaic Hogan. That is what we got, though. Unfortunately, in the end, we got the Hulk out leg drop win. And you're right. He beats Arn and Flair in Charlotte, the capital of Flair country. The crowd is mutinous like they hate it. But I got to say, I like I said, I, I hate it, too. I'm so tired of the Hulk Hogan formulaic match. And that's what we got here. I'm bored of it. I mean, kudos to Ric Flair for letting Hogan and Sting go over on him in, in his hometown. There's other dudes that won't do that. I wonder who you can mean. I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it could have been handled better. I don't know what you can do, though, because Hogan, you know, Hogan has, which I we've talked about before, but we haven't talked about it in, in a, quite a while. So to refresh people's memory, part of Hogan's contract is that he does have creative control over his character. So I don't really know if there's more that you can do. Because Hogan's just gonna say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna Hulk out on the spine buster and leg drop, and I'm gonna win." And they just have to say, "Okay," because that's that's how it works. He's got creative control, so it is what it is. But you're right. the The interview after, where they again for like the 19th time, let bygones be bygones, put their disagreements aside, and come together. Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend let's hug it out flares the real enemy let's be friends again that part was fine even though the premise is completely played out but that's how they end the night they they ended on a kumbaya high note but we're not done the night is not over for us because now we truck it over to wwf raw in salisbury maryland and we start with and I know you're excited for this, Joseph, because we start with a video package recapping the Bret Hart-Bob Backlund feud. 
What are they doing to Brett? I don't know what they're doing, but I will say this. The outfit that that Vinny Mac rocks every single week at this point is fantastic, and I love it. I'll get that for you for Christmas. I'll work on that. We'll get that for you. <laughs> I don't good. know, man. I, I, that, that could lead me down a real bad path. Let's not do that. What, whatever do you mean? You start, you know, you make your own wrestling company, then you become this, you know, tyrant or whatever. We'll probably have to mm-hmm. cut all this, but you know. Yeah, I, I was, I was completely ready to cut all this. I was like, he's, he's going down the dark path right now. This is all getting cut. <laughs> up next, up next, we got Owen Hart versus some jobber you will never hear from again. Jeff Hardy. Diesel is shown watching the match on a monitor in the locker room. We see Diana Smith in the crowd. Owen Hart, as you might have guessed, defeats Jeff Hardy because he's not that Jeff Hardy just yet. He's a jobber for right now. But after the match, for some reason, we decide that we're going to kill this poor kid because Owen calls Yokozuna into the ring. He gives Jeff a bonsai drop. Owen then puts him in a sharpshooter. This makes Diesel come out to the ring. He runs them off. But like, why why are they trying to kill poor Jeff Hardy, Joseph? What do you think of this? Overall, I gave this a B minus because they do progress a storyline with it. It, It's definitely a squash match. I wouldn't even call this a glorified one because they really don't know what they have yet with with young Jeffrey Hardy. They don't know that yet. But there's some confusing things about it. Much like you said, they just just take their day out on him, which, I mean, they're heels. So, you know, do what you're going to do. But Diesel charges the ring and starts clearing house. Didn't he just turn heel a few weeks back didn't he just say like he's only he's only worrying about his interests and his family's interest and that includes Shawn michaels is jeff hardy a member of of diesel's family we don't know it why is he saving him why if anything why isn't he just like watching backstage laughing like you can do that to him but you'll never be able to do that to me it doesn't really make any sense it gets a b minus it was entertaining i did enjoy it but it was just like okay I don't really know why this is happening. I don't know. Maybe it's because Owen put Sean in the hospital and Diesel's like, you're not going to do that again. And, you know, and I guess I I go back. I don't think Diesel's a heel now. I think he's an anti-hero, right? He's I'm not, which he always kind of was, but now he's like more firmly an anti-hero. He's not towing the company line anymore. I, I think he's, I think he's a tweener. I don't think he's a heel just yet. And I don't know. And like I said, maybe it's because he's got beef with Owen because of what Owen did to Sean. Maybe. I don't know. But you're right. It wasn't really explained. Up next, though, we got a ladies match. And I am going to butcher the hell out of this name. Up first, we got Aja Kong. But after that, we got Chaparita Asari. Is that right, Joseph? Do you know? that's, That's pretty much right. Yeah. Well, then there you go. What can I say? I take it all back. I did a perfect job. Talk about this match. Of note, it's a ladies match, which we've had a couple of now, which is really surprising. But based on the commentary, you can tell they have absolutely no interest in these women's matches. They they have no interest in the women's matches. And also, like, they're about to stop completely soon. I think we're like a week or two away from them stopping. But there's a lot to talk about in this match, Scott. This This is why I roll up the sleeves. Thought you might have something to say. Thought you might. And I go in on a particular person. I'm going to give this. I'm I'm just going to real quickly say I'm going to give the match a C plus. 
Again, this is a watch on mute match. The women do a fine job doing what they're doing. There's even some really fun moments where like Aja Kong kicks Asari while Asari's like sitting on the ground and Asari's so much smaller. She actually slides across the floor. That was a really fun spot. I don't know if that was intentional, but it happened. But Jerry Lawler just all over the place in this. He says, is it just me or does Aja Kong remind you of a bowling shoe? And Vince says, a bowling shoe? And then Jerry says, there aren't many things uglier than a bowling shoe. Shut the fuck up, man. This is going to get an explicit rating, so just just be ready for that. I, I, can, I, can, put, I can put that tag on. I can. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> then he says about Aja Kong that he compares her to rapper, quote, Fat Boy, who is her idol, apparently according to Jerry Lawler, because what they do is they are like fat together, I guess is the thing. So fat boy is not a rapper just to, just so everybody knows fat boy is actually Darren Robinson, AKA big buff or buff love, who is a member of a hip hop trio known as the fat boys. So he was a member of that group, but fat boy wasn't his name. Darren Robinson died the day, day before this from a heart attack due to weight problems. So again, I say, fuck you, Jerry Lawler. And then Vince moves on. Jerry pulls him back. Like after Vince says whatever Vince says, Jerry pulls him back because he didn't get to finish his story and he wants to land his joke that does not land. And he says, that fat boy died because he and Aja Kong were sitting on the couch as couch potatoes eating and he fell off the couch and that's how he died. Fuck you, Jerry Lawler. Not only is this commentary completely tasteless, it's not even referenced properly. Like Jerry is trying to be hip right here with like topical humor that the kids will get, but he doesn't even reference it properly because he's just a pasty white cracker from the South. That's all he is. So it's just like, shut up, dude. Just shut the fuck up and stop being a dick every fucking week. Anyways, I'll move on, except to point out that Jerry the King Lawler had a heart attack on live TV in 2012 during an episode of Raw. And since that point, he's had two strokes, once in 2018 and once in 2023. Not saying that's karma, but I'm not saying it's not. We can move on. So overall, you like the match? Yeah, match is good. Okay, sounds good. Let, let us move on before we get an explicit rating, which I'm probably going to put on this anyways. Up next, we have a sit down between Shawn Michaels and Todd Pettingill. Michaels says that he's. Really appreciated the fan support. Good guy, Sean, talking up the fans and how they love him. He wants to come back. He is ready to go. But the doctors, they're saying, nah, he gets emotional, as we all do when he discusses the possibility of retirement. But he's not going to commit to that. Joseph, tell me how you feel about this powerful special edition of raw. So last week I mentioned that Todd Pettengill, when he's kind of doing this serious, like news report works really well. 
I, I'm doubling down on that. He does such a great job in this. And, and again, I, I really went in on him early in the podcast run. But when he does these segments, I really enjoy it. He wants to know when HBK is coming back. Like you said, HBK wants to come back today, but doctors won't let him. I think that's great. Shows the drive of HBK. Pettingo points out that HBK's never won a WF championship, but he still had a great career, all things considered. So if he has to hang it up now, it's been a great career. HBK doubles down, says he wants to come back and see his goals through, which I think, again, you're showing the resiliency of him. At a certain point, HBK realizes that all Todd Pettingo wants is to get HBK's reaction to the potential of him having to retire, at which point HBK calls him out and basically says, is this what all this is for? You don't actually care about me. You just want the reaction to that question. And is like, I'm done. I'm done with you. And I'm done with this interview. And he's disgusted with him. I thought it was a great job. It got an A from me. You're right. These Todd Pettingill sit down interviews are, are really good. They, they're, they're very professionally done. They feel like actual like news segments that you would see in the 90s. Sean is good. He sells it well. It, you know, he, he it, it's an emotional interview. You know, obviously he's not really hurt, but the fans don't know that. And the possibility of him retiring and having to hang it up, that's emotional. And I think he plays it off really well. I thought it was good. It, it's good. And, you know, the angle, I think the angle's working. I think it, it, it's going to make it more exciting when he returns, his triumphant return. It's going to be big. Well, I mean, if he does, we don't know. He could be out forever. After that, though, because the next two weeks, feel like it's just jobber fest on WWF. We got Ahmed Johnson versus the famous Rick Stockhausen. You all know him. You all love him. That's not true. You've never heard of him. I looked him up. I don't think he's known by anything else. Rick Stockhausen. He loses, as you might have guessed. Ahmed Johnson beats him. As Ahmed Johnson makes his entrance, we get a Dean Douglas promo. And he talks about how Dean Douglas talks about how he's going to end Ahmed Johnson, going to end his career, end his rise in WWF at In Your House. After the match, we get a Lawler Ahmed Johnson interview. Jerry continues with terrible jokes. He's got some for Ahmed. Ahmed doesn't take too kindly to that. He says he's going to beat Dean Douglas at In Your House. And he also tells Jerry that he might want to sit down or he could get his ass beat too. And for that, I say, Thank you, Ahmed. Joseph, do you have thoughts about this? Yeah, I kind of I kind of graded both these separately because I think one's quite a bit better than the other, which I think the match is not great. You got a D plus from me. Ahmed Johnson hits the ugliest spine buster like imaginable. I don't know if it was his fault or if it was uh, Rick Stockhausen's fault, but it wasn't good. It's a squash match. This is a, this is a traditional squash match. And I'm kind of getting tired of Ahmed Johnson being in squash matches. I like to see him, see him at least with people who like, you know, put him with like Bob Holly or something, you know, somebody who we know it's a squash, but we know it's going to be entertaining. At least that would be great. But I think Ahmed Johnson does a much better job in his promo. He's actually, he, he actually is a little more clear on this one. He says, first of all, let me tell you something. If Dean Douglas had done his homework, he wouldn't even sign up to fight me. So I know he didn't do his homework. And second of all, he says it like that. You sit in there running your mouth with Dean Douglas, referencing Jerry Lawler. Where is he? See, one thing about me, brother, I ain't got to sit around and talk about what I'm going to do to somebody because I ain't a man of words. I'm a man of action. I tell you what you do. You take a front row seat where you've been sitting, running your big mouth, 
And then you get Dean Douglas out here and we see what it's all about, brother. It was okay. That, that, that got a C minus for me. It's better than what he's been doing, though. Wasn't good. Wasn't terrible. But you know what else isn't terrible, Joseph? And what's quite good? What's that? These denim jackets Docs Hendricks is selling. We got a diesel dim- denim jacket. We got an Undertaker denim jacket. We got a Shawn Michaels denim jacket. And we got a Bret Hart denim jacket. $59.75. Weird number, but that's what it is. Plus shipping and handling. Catch Joseph, though, you can only buy one. You can only buy one in the continental United States. Joseph, which one are you getting? Uh, I'm going to have to go with my boy, Shawn Michaels. I knew you would. I knew you would. But we're running out of time. So I'm going to fast forward here, Joseph. Let's get into the next segment where we got Vince McMahon interviewing Sid, the one, two, three kid, and Ted DiBiase. Ted talks about how great his new tag team is. Apparently, Sid and the one, two, three kid are a tag team. He, uh, one, two, three kid says that uh, Razor Ramon's been manipulating him for years. Sid says Million Dollar Corporation is a family and he's going to beat Marty Janetia in your house. There we go. We got it. What do you think of this? I have a feeling I know, but tell me. I didn't hate it because they're trying to figure something out with them. One, two, three kid says he's learned the three most important things. Don't worry about people, worry about winning and get the money, which if he had just said it like that, I think I would have enjoyed. But the way they set it up is just so bad. One, two, three kids struggling here. And and this kind of goes back to my point of like, how is Ted DiBiase helping him? Again, I'm not saying backstage that he was like a bad influence or anything. I don't know. I really don't. I've never heard, you know, one, two, three kid talk about this time in his career, but I'm not seeing any real good effects of this like it just doesn't make any sense to me and it's just it's not horrible but i'm just kind of like rolling my eyes so you got to see minus for me it wasn't great you know besides ted dibiase there's no one here that is particularly good on the mic that shows you know it's it's progressing a story so it is what it is it's fine We're, we're selling we're selling buys to in your house that's what they were here to do and that's fine overall though not great again not a fan of the million dollar corporation i don't think it's a family i'm not feeling that i I like the premise it's just i wish they'd do something more with it but i don't want to talk about that anymore joseph because i want to talk about what we've all been waiting for and that's the main event joseph the main event brett hart versus bob backlund during the match lawler interviews diana she talks about how great the british bulldog is and how great jim Cornette is and getting him title shots okay i don't know why we're doing this but we're gonna do it a lot you're gonna see a lot of diana it does lead to the british bulldog doing a run-in and there's a dq bret hart defeats bob Backlund by dq after the bell, because it's all kind of related, Backlund puts Brett in the cross-face chicken wing. What, hell of a move name. And the bulldog puts his boot on Brett. The officials swarm in. They're trying to break it up. McMahon wants to know what this means for in your house. What do you think this means, Joseph? Tell me about all of this. Well, the first interesting thing about this, I, I teased last week that we're going to have some promotional consideration that I am going to be hyped for. And we get three in a row here. We get the ricochet by Tonka 
variations were made from 1993 all the way till at least 2010. So the basically what this car was, it was an RC car and it was designed to work no matter which way it was. So if it flipped over, it would still work and drive perfectly. And I remember as a kid wanting this thing so bad. It looked so cool because you could like, they would always show it like hitting a boulder and it would, the boulder would flip it over and then you could still just drive it away with it. Ridiculous, but I loved it. Then NFL quarterback club, 1996 by acclaim entertainment, acclaim went bankrupt in 2004, but they brought some great bangers of video games, most notably probably the mortal Kombat series. So if you're a fan of that, Thank you, Acclaim. And then on top of all these, Erector sets. When was the last time you heard about Erector sets, Scott? Man, I had some. I got them at a garage sale in South Dakota. Ooh, played with them all the time. Erector sets were essentially, if you don't know, they were essentially like Legos on steroids. They were metal pieces. You could basically, like if you, like people who played with these probably went on to become architects because you could just make pretty much whatever you wanted out of them. And you'll see people will still find like versions of them today and just make the craziest inventions that like do work with them. Like they'll go, they'll make like a car and the car will move or they'll make like, uh, like I saw somebody made like a printing station out of one and it would just like, it carried the paper through and printed the paper and stuff. And you can absolutely engineer the crap out of them. They're actually, there's now a, a company called i believe it's called 8020 and 8020 is a type of material used in manufacturing i've seen them before and when i when i saw them i went those kind of remind me of erector sets well 8020's actual tagline is erector set erector sets for manufacturing or something like that so they're they're very they became very prominent they're, i don't think you can buy them anymore but they were a really cool idea anyways i talked about all of that because that's really cool and you know what isn't cool scott this match yeah this match it's yep. not good. Didn't enjoy yep. it. Didn't have a good time. It, it got a C plus because it 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 wasn't it was whatever and it did continue a storyline, but it's not a storyline I want. I mean, I thought about giving it worse, but I honestly thought Bret Hart tried his, his damnedest in this, and I wasn't I wasn't going to be that negative on Bret Hart again. Well, I just I, I can't blame Bret Hart because I feel like Bret Hart wrestles good matches. He's a good technical wrestler. I can't say anything bad about him. He's just putting these terrible storylines. And this is another terrible storyline. It was a terrible way to end the night. I am worse off because of it. But what did the fans think, Joseph? Did do, do they agree with our assessment? Who won this week? Well, obviously, I think we both think that that Nitro won very clearly in the landslide. The fans thought that this got a two point five for Raw, which is actually down point one from the previous week. Nitro wins but barely 2.6 that's very close that's very close and i can't believe that this was the card this was the main event they hyped this last week and people and 2.5 per 2.5 said i want to watch that <laughs> it's 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 wild to me but it is what it is but nitro did win so at least we have that at least most people acknowledged that nitro was going to be better tonight and it was with how close that is, this actually might be a thing where about halfway through the show, people went, okay, I'm, I'm turning the station now. Yeah, it's time to go. And it's time to go for us. So with that, see y'all later. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.
Hey everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did, and also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, mm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast.